I loved that video from the standpoint of it's Labor Day weekend and whatever we do, we do for the glory of the Lord. Or, or maybe another one I just love when Jesus says, all who labor or are heavy laden, come to me and rest. And just I hope that I hope that you're doing that. I hope that you're remembering verses like that as we celebrate Labor Day. I know you, you work so hard, all of us. We've got so many things that are going on. I hope you take a minute to recognize that whatever we do, we do it for the glory of the Lord. Amen? I would hope to hear some amens there. But let me pray. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 25, and then we'll get into our study. Father, as, as we, we settle our hearts now before your word, we just pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be the teacher, that you would bring illumination to your word. And while we're talking about worship this morning, God, some of the things that we're also going to see in the text, it may be, a, may be kind of a sensitive topic to some. It, it may be kind of one of those things that maybe we would ought not hear about, maybe challenging in some of those regards. But Father, as it is our aim at Calvary Chapel to go through your word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Father, it's all important, and we want to be faithful as we look at it all. So I just pray, God, that that we would be open to what your word has to say to us as we are every Sunday, that this would be no different, but that you would infuse it with, with life and with encouragement and correction if correction is needed. But Father, we know that it has all the blessing and the power that all of your word has. Life-sustaining, life-giving. So we just pray that you would work it in us. Let it be sown deep, deep, deep into our hearts and bear fruit. We love you, Jesus, and lift all this up in your name. Amen. Well, Well, Exodus 25 is where we're going to be. And we're continuing our Worship Is series. And what we're going to see this morning in part two is we're going to see that worship is a response, right? That's what worship is, a response. And, and when you think about the word response, I want, I want you to think about it like this. A response is a reaction to something, right? You're reacting to it. And, and by definition, a response is this. A response is the excitation of nerve impulses caused by a change or events, right? Something happens that is life-changing, life-altering, life-impacting, and there's no possible way to not respond. A reaction is warranted, and, and that would be expected. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be apathetic about something so powerful. You want to respond, and that's what we're going to see here in Exodus chapter 25. That is, that is what has happened for the people here in Exodus 25. God has changed their lives. He has rescued them, redeemed them. He's defeated all of their enemies and so many more amazing things as we've all been studying through this. And a response is warranted as they're here at the base of the mountain and Moses up on top of the mountain receiving all of these things. A response is warranted. But we want to know what kind of response does God want? Well, we're going to see the answer to that this morning. The response is worship. That's what we're talking about again here this morning and for, for several parts of this series. Now, last week we defined what worship is. Worship is anything we do that declares the great worth of God and deepens our relationship with Jesus as Lord. And those two components are very, very important to understanding what worship is. It declares worth and it shows lordship, right? worth and lordship. And so we're going to see that again.
again this morning. But, but last week, it's also important to repeat as well. Last week, we, we talked about worship is first relationship. That we can't declare God's worth and we can't grow deeper in our lordship relationship with Jesus if we don't have a relationship with him. Right? It just isn't possible. Relationship is the first step. And we, we talked about that at length last week. God addressed that. God has brought his people into covenant relationship with him. That's what chapter 24 was all about. And then we made the connection. We are in covenant relationship with Jesus, a new covenant relationship in his blood through his broken body. But that's what happens first, relationship. And then comes the next response that we're going to talk about this morning. But I do not want anyone to miss that. Please, please even write that in your notes. Relationship comes first. Relationship comes before response because everything we're going to talk about this morning it has to happen after it happens because of listen our response in worship it always comes from the intimacy we share in relationship did you catch that our response in worship it always comes as a response to the intimacy we share in relationship And so know that God doesn't make a mistake. His order is perfect. Now the response is going to come after the relationship has been given. But the question, the question very specifically now is, what does God want his people to do? What's the response supposed to look like? And here's where this may get a little tricky this morning. It looks like giving a portion back to the Lord from that which he gave to you. That's what it looks like. It looks like giving back to the Lord. Now, I want to make something very, 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 very clear. We're not talking about giving this morning. We're talking about worship. And giving is the response that worship shows us. That's what we're seeing here in the text. And I don't want you to tune out on this. Please don't check out. We're we're looking at God's word. We're looking at words that God speaks to Moses. This is God saying what comes next. I'm not making this up. Make sure your Bibles are in your laps and you're reading these verses with me. Chapter 25, we're gonna read the the first nine verses. Look at what it says. It says, then, I love that word, then, after the covenant relationship has been made after a a oxen or a lamb was sacrificed and the blood of the covenant sprinkled on the altar pleasing God sprinkled sprinkled on the people showing that they are connected right then after the relationship the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart you shall take my offering. And this is the offering with which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so 
You shall make it. So rest at ease. There's our text for this morning. Those nine verses is what we're going to be talking about. And I say again, we're talking about worship. We're talking about responding to God in worship and what he wants his people to do. We see here is giving a portion back of what he has given to his people. That's what he's giving them the opportunity to do. Now setting the scene here, remember Moses is up on the mountain. He's going to be up on Mount Sinai meeting with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, but clearly everything God is telling him, he's going to bring down and speak to the children of Israel. That's what verse one says. Speak to the children of Israel these things. So all that's going to happen, which means Moses is eventually going to come down the mountain and all these things God spoke are going to be put into practice. Now, big picture here, the next 16 chapters, really the last 16 chapters in the book of Exodus are predominantly dominated by the detail given for the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, everything God is going to tell them to build and put inside there. There's some beautiful simplicity, but there's also great detail given with what God wants this to look like. In fact, I want you to know this, that this tabernacle and its furnishings, this is the most detailed thing we have in all of our Bibles. We have more chapters devoted, more detail devoted to the tabernacle and its furnishings than any other thing in all the Bible. And we're thinking, wow, why? Why is that so important to God? Because one, it's going to be called a tabernacle. And what that means is a dwelling place. It's going to be a place where God of very God, the God of the universe, is going to make his presence dwell. He's going to be amongst his people. We'll talk more about that before we close, but that's important to God. He's going to dwell. He's going to have his presence there. That's why he says to Moses, make it according to the pattern that you see. He's seeing some sort of pattern in heaven. He's starting to see as God's dwelling place looks in heaven, I want you to make it that same way according to the pattern here. Again, we'll talk more about it. We have a lot more time to to focus more on that in later studies, but it's going to be called a tabernacle, a dwelling place. It's also going to be called a tent of meeting because that's exactly what it's going to be, a place God meets with his people. That's why it's, it's why it needs to be so detailed. That's why the pattern is being given to Moses. That's why it's so important. But I want you to see, here's where it starts. God wants all of these things to be given to him so then it can be made according to the pattern that God is giving Moses up on the mountain. Or, or in other words, this is God giving his people the opportunity opportunity to join him in the construction of this tent of meeting or tabernacle dwelling place. Now I want you to understand, we're talking about the Lord God here. Again, make no mistake. This is the God who spoke everything we see in this world and universe into existence. This is the God who said, let there be light and there was and separated the waters from the dry land and gave life to every living being. This is the God who's able to make something from nothing because this is the Lord God of all right? Which, which means he could have just spoken and bang, boom, here is a whole tabernacle completely done and finished. Here you go. He could have, 
but he doesn't do it that way. Why? Because he's giving his people the opportunity to respond to him in worship. An opportunity to respond to him in worship by giving, a, giving back a portion of what he has entrusted them. That's what we're seeing here. And it's, it's beautiful here, but it's, it's incredible the way God is doing this. But I just want you to see that pattern. God has given these people all the things that they have. And he's just asking them for a portion of it back to be used for his glory, for his work, for his purposes. It's like this. It's like a father who gives his children money so they can go buy him a birthday present, right? It's like saying, hey, here's Asher Sailor. Here's some money. I want you to buy me a new shirt. I want it to be this brand. I want it to be this color. I want it to be this size. Oh, and by the way, you can find exactly what I want at this store. But then you give them the resources to go and buy that. And so then they go and do that. Then comes your birthday and, and they've wrapped it and they've, they've packaged it all up. And what does the father do? The father opens that up with joy, with excitement, with gratitude because it's never about the money it wasn't about the thing it was about giving the children the resources they needed to be able to show the affection they feel in their hearts right that's how it works so the father gives the children the resources by which to put them in good use and give them back as a gift to the one who gave it to them. And that's exactly what we're seeing here in Exodus chapter 25. This is the exact example. Remember, all these two, two and a half plus million people, where do they have anything, right? They have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They had nothing until God delivered them out of Egypt, until God gave them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, until God said, you're gonna plunder them, and everything that was given to them was because God gave it to them, was because God gave them favor. Remember, this is Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, a reference verse I want you to be reminded of. We covered all this, but it says this, now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they asked from the Egyptians for articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested, thus they plundered the Egyptians. In other words, I just want you to see big picture here. God is that father who has given all of his children the resources according to the riches of his grace. He's given his children all the resources so they can give something back to him in affection, in love, in gratitude if they so desire. That's incredibly powerful to me. That's incredibly powerful on so many levels. Because notice that everything God is asking for in this list that we'll talk a little bit more later, everything he's asking for, he gave it to them. Everything he's asking for, he's put it in their possession. He's let them entrust it as stewards. They're going to give back wood in trees they didn't plant. They're going to give back animal skins from animals they didn't raise. They're going to give back gold and silver and, and bronze that they didn't mine for, right? God gave it to them. 
And all he is doing is asking for a portion of it back should they respond in worship towards the Lord their God. And this same, this same question applies to us. We have the same circumstance. God has given us resources. He's given us what we need, both to provide for our families and our livelihoods, but also to give a portion back to the Lord, again, in worship. So that's, that's what's going on here. But I want to go back through these verses that we read, these nine verses, and I want to go back a little slower, and I want to point out five important things, five important things that I want us to know about worshiping God through giving, five things that I want to have our hearts right when we worship the Lord by giving a portion of what he's entrusted us back to him. So write down these five things, make note of them, or circle, highlight these verses, Number one, what does God want his people to understand about this? Number one is it all belongs to the Lord. It's always belonged to the Lord. And what I'm speaking of, what gives, it all belongs to the Lord, but what gets given back to him, it belongs to the Lord. The people are not giving to Moses. The people are not giving to Aaron or the other priests or the elders of Israel. They're giving it to the Lord as an act of holy worship. We see this in verse two. Look at this. He says, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me and offering. I circled that. Bring me. This belongs to the Lord. It's between the people and the Lord. And I, I love that. I want you to know that's how it works at our church. You don't give to me. You don't give to the leadership team or the volunteers here. You give to the Lord. And just so you know, I've got great people around me. I have no idea what you give. I never have. Because it's not between me and you. It's between you and the Lord. But your giving, it belongs to the Lord. Anything you steward through the church, it belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. We say things like, well, I'm going to give to this missionary organization, or I'm going to give to these missionaries. I'm going to give to the church. Listen, they are just a vessel that you're passing through God's stewarded money, but it all belongs to the Lord. Bring me my offering is what the Lord says. So our response in worship is saying, God, this is for you. This is yours. We have a reference verse from Psalm 96. Now, this is a psalm that's attributed to Moses, by the way. But Psalm 96, verse 7 and 9, it says this, Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. But I just point this out to say it's not, at its heart, at its core, it's not about giving. It's about worship. They're doing it as a response to the Lord in worship. A heart of gratitude, a heart of thanksgiving. It's an invitation, a response to say, God, you've, you've blessed me beyond compare. You've blessed me by giving me life and salvation. And you've entrusted me these things. Hey, here's a portion back to you, God. It's yours. Now, what is so amazing Amazing to me about this is that God would accept this at all. Remember, this is the God who created everything. This is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't lack, He doesn't need anything. But the fact that He would receive it from us is just incredible to me. So when you give, 
Know that this, is, this belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. The second thing God wants us to know about this is he says, speak to the children of Israel. This is the second thing. Number two is this is voluntary. Did you hear that? This is voluntary. God is not imposing a tax upon the children of Israel. He's not commanding that, I, that they do this. He's not, com- he's not demanding that they do this. He's not saying you have to do this whether you like it or not. Look at, he, he says in verse two, he says, bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly. It's a voluntary thing. It's a free will offering. That's why an offering is called an offering. Because you can give it if you feel so compelled to give it, but you don't have to. It's something we freely give in response to worship. That's why when we were able to gather together, we had two offering boxes in the back. You know what they said? Offering. Because it's not mandated. We've never passed a plate since I've been here. We, we, we never talk about giving. Throughout this whole pandemic, we haven't talked about it once. Why are we talking about it today? Because it's in the text. And it's my heart, my calling, my desire, my conviction to be faithful, to teach you the Bible, to show you who God is by teaching you what his word says. So we're here because this is where we're at. But it's an offering. It's voluntary. Christians, God is not about taking our money. God has never been about taking our money. Maybe you heard that one time on TV and it's kind of unfortunate because like here, here we are on TV, but I'm telling you, God does not need your money. Do not think that the Lord God of all creation is some pauper who has no idea how the whole ministry thing is going to function for another week if you don't give. Listen, the the whole movement of God, God himself, he's able to sustain himself. He's the all-existing one, the eternal one. His church has been empowered by his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, by the way. Jesus says, I will build my church and not even the plans conjured up by Satan in the gates of Hades are gonna prevail against it. God doesn't need our money but he will receive it if it's a cheerful gift in response to worship. As we worship him and say, God, I want you to have this because I love you and it's yours and I'm thankful for you and I don't want to be attached to these things so much. Right? It's a worshipful response. That's what we're talking about here. So it's, it's voluntary. He's going to give his people the opportunity, the invitation to come alongside what he wants to do. And think about what that is. I want to work in your midst. I want my presence to dwell amongst you. And we say, I I want that. I want to invest in that. I want to see this thing continuing to go because I want to grow with you, Lord. I want you near. I want you close. And not buying God's favor. Don't think of it like that. But it's investing into his presence. They're very literally investing in a tabernacle, in a tent of meeting because they want to be able to keep community with God, that communion and relationship with him. Right? Relationship comes first and then the response through worship, through giving in this situation. So please remember, it's voluntary. We don't give because God needs our money. We give in a response to worship. We give because we're thankful for what God has given us and we want to give a portion of it back to him. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, but I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, 
but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What he's saying here is it's the same law, the law of sowing and reaping. You want to throw a little seed down, you can expect a little bit of plant harvest back. You want to throw a whole lot of seed down, you can expect a lot more down. That's reaping and sowing, or sowing and reaping. But what he's saying here is you can't outgive God. If you want to give a lot because that's what God has purposed on your heart, give a lot and expect that God's blessing is going to come a lot. That, that's what he says. Look, at the verse continues. He says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, again, voluntarily, not grudgingly, not out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. But then he says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I mean, that's a promise. That's what God is speaking through his Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul. But giving is voluntary as you purpose in your heart. Not grudgingly, not out of necessity, not because God needs it, needs it, but he will bless us for it. I love to say it this way. I don't give because God needs something. I give because I want to worship the Lord my God and I know he's got a blessing in store for me as I let go of something that can grab so such a tight hold of my heart. I want to let go of the things that are trying to grab a hold of me so I can grab a hold of more of Jesus. That's what I want to do. That's what Paul is saying to do here. So remember, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. Number three, the third thing God wants his people to know is that it comes from the heart. Right, If you're going to give, it belongs to the Lord, it's voluntary, but don't just do it for show. Do it because you've been compelled in the heart to do it. That's what he says in verse two. Bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. I love that part. God has never wanted lip service. God hates hypocrisy. Jesus talks about when you give, don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, which means don't give with one hand and pat yourself on the back with the other. You have your reward. You're getting the, the appearance of piety before the people around who are seeing you do that. Don't do it that way. Do it from the heart. Do it because God has changed your heart, compelled you in the heart, soften your heart, and you want to respond to him in worship. I think this this part too, it, it's so incredible to me because I just want you, to, want you to think about it like this, right? What if the IRS did it this way? What if the IRS said, hey, we want you to know we're not going to mandate any taxes anymore. We're, we're not, no more begrudgingly pay your taxes, right? We're just going to say, whoever's moved in the heart, you, just you pay your taxes, right? How many would pay? How much would you pay, right? I think we could safely say our country would be in much worse financial straits if that was the way things worked. If the IRS just said, hey, it's optional. If you're moved by the heart, pay. If not, don't, right? That it wouldn't work out so well. But yet think about it. How is God able to have his tabernacle fully funded this way? How is God able to have his temple fully funded this way? There's going to be articles made of pure gold. There's going to be plenty of things. How is it that the church has been able to thrive through virtual capacities, through underground capacities, through persecuted capacities, under different governments, under different social structures, in different geographic locations? How? Because God is able to touch and change and transform the heart. It was never about a guilt trip. It's never to be taxed or mandated. It's between you and the Lord, me and the Lord. And when God touches and changes and moves and compels my heart, 
When I say, God, yes, I want to do this for you because I love you and I want to respond in worship, right? But it has to come, please know that it has to come from the heart. And and God is able to compel the heart to move. When Moses is going to come down this mountain, yeah, he's gonna have to deal with some drama when he gets to the bottom, but when he shares this with these people, right, the majority of people are gonna be able to step back and say, well, where did I get all this in the first place? Oh yeah, God gave it to me. I I would still be a slave in Egypt if it wasn't for the Lord. Or some may say, well, I was owed these back wages because I worked hard or I earned it. Well, well, who gave you the capacity to even work? Who gave you the, the capacity to stand on your two feet or move your two hands? Who gave you the capacity to use that brain of yours? Who gave you life, right? No matter how far you want to take it, God did. God is the one who's done all those things. And when we acknowledge that, he's saved us, he's redeemed us, he's given me this capacity, this ability, that big old brain that's in your head to be able to generate income. When you start thinking back, it doesn't take me long to think, well, of course, I'm moved in the heart. God has done a great thing for me. God has done everything for me. Of course, I want to give a portion of what he's entrusted me back to him. But I think in some regards, that's the response. That's the recipe for a worshipful response through giving is just taking a moment and letting your heart be filled with gratitude. Not Not a heart of hoarding, not a heart of this is all mine, but a heart of saying, God, this is really all yours. You did this for me. And listen, God's not wanting you to to give everything away so you can't provide for your family, so you can't put a roof over your head. God's just saying, hey, what you can give, give. What you're able to give, give as a response in worship because you love me. But I think this is the recipe, and I'll just be honest with you, uh, in my own personal journey, this has been hard. I have a finance background. I I grew up, and I initially ran out of college. I worked at a bank, and and I I was doing financial statements and I'm analyzing tax returns and I'm I'm thinking in in assets and liabilities and debits and credits and it was really hard because the first time I get paid I want to kind of look and say well here's discretionary income here's savings here's investments I was like well where does giving come in and I don't know it was really really hard and I had to every single time when I struggle with that contemplation I have to think whose kingdom am I really wanting to live in whose kingdom am I really living for Listen, I, I'm, I'm into investments. I like investments, but listen, there is no better investment than the one that will give you returns for eternity. There isn't. That, that's what Jesus says when we'll look at a verse a little later. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but, but that starts changing my heart. It starts getting me to the place where I say, God, I, I want to invest what in your presence? I want to invest in your work around me. I want to see you move, not because you need it, but because I want to be a part of it. And you start engaging in some of those things. But I remember God just starting to change my heart in some of those areas. And now every time I give, that's what it does. Every time I give, it's like a worshipful declaration that I'm making over my life. I'm living for your kingdom, Lord God. I'm living for your purposes, Lord God. This world doesn't have its grip upon me. You are the one who's given me life and existence and sustain me. I trust you. And I give that, I give that before I even finish the budget now because what's the worst case scenario? I'm going to have to trust the Lord in more faith. And I want that. And this is not prosperity gospel. This is, this is not something that God's going to, to do. You be compelled by the Lord. You do it because God has purposed in your heart to do that. But I'm just giving you my testimony. 
You can't outgive God. I, I am one of those people that, yes, anonymous things have come in the mail when the Lord has provided in our shortcomings. But we just keep trusting Him and letting God do what God's going to do. And just like we're going to see here in the book of Exodus, He's going to finish what He's started here. Back to that verse I was referencing about about what Jesus says is in Luke chapter 12. He's teaching about worry. And as we think about worry, I, I would love to see some hands. Anyone struggle with worry? We're kind of in the midst of this duration and this pandemic and this uncertainty and an election year and a volatile stock market the past few weeks. I mean, anyone anyone struggle with worry? I think we'd all say, I, I, I do. I struggle with worry a little bit. I worry about the things that Jesus told me not to worry about. I confess, right? This is, this is church. Right? We can confess and, and be forgiven. Lord, I struggle with worry. But this is the chapter in Luke 12 where Jesus talks about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And he says he, he feeds the birds and he, he clothes the lilies. He says, oh, how much of greater value are you made in the image of God than they are? But, but he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. But he says this. Here's the verse that I want you to see. Luke 12, 33 through 34. He says, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he says, sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves money bags, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Every single time I give, when it comes from the heart, it's me saying, God, you have my heart. It's me saying, God, my heart is anchored heavenward. God, my focus is on your kingdom. And this world has less of a grip upon me every single time I entrust more in my life to the Lord. And that's what Jesus says. That whole idea of the greatest investment being the one that gives you eternal rewards. Jesus says the treasure in heavens that does not fail. Does not fail, right? That's what Jesus says. So you take it up with Jesus. But I'm just pointing out, that's what comes from the heart. With everything these people are doing in Exodus 25 to come along, they're paying it forward to see God do something great in their midst, continue to do something great in their midst, and continue to be letting go of the things that are holding on to them in this world. We have the opportunity to do the same exact thing. So that's what we want to do. So remember, it, it comes from the heart. It comes from being compelled by what God has done for us. Number four, the fourth thing that God wants his people to know when it comes to responding in worship through giving. Number four is God deserves the best. Whatever you're going to give, give God your best. Listen, whatever we voluntarily freely by our own choice because we're compelled by the Lord to give in whatever amount, in whatever variety, we're to give our best to the Lord. God deserves our best. I want you to see in this long list of things from verses three through seven, what God is specifically asking for here or giving people the invitation to respond, right? Not demanding, but but giving the people the opportunity to respond. He says, gold, silver, and bronze in verse 3. 
These are precious metals. We're going to talk later and see later that, that the tabernacle and its furnishings, they're going to have things that are overlaid with gold and silver and bronze. They're going to have some things that are pure gold and silver and bronze. Incredibly valuable, precious metals. Still today, these are costly and valuable. Blue, purple, scarlet, and fine thread here in, in verse 4. These, these threads, these dyed colored threads, these were almost as valuable as precious metals because they were really hard to color to get into that kind of dyed state. They would have to get shellfish from the Mediterranean Sea and while the shellfish are still alive, you pried them open, you extract the liquid from the glands and that's able to dye these colors. But it could take up to a thousand shellfish to color one robe depending on the size of the robe. It was very time consuming. It was very costly. It was rare. It was valuable. So that's what God's saying. Here's here's something else. Animal skins, goats, hair, ram's skins dyed red. So you got the dying and you got the costly animal that had to be slaughtered or, or the covering. These are livelihood. These are important things. When it says in my Bible, the New King James Version says badger skins. Yours may say porpoise skins, as in like dolphin skins or, or a sea cow. Yours may say other types of durable leather. Listen, scholars are divided on what kind of skins they're talking about there. We don't really know, which, which means it's valuable. We don't even know what these things were. But God is saying, hey, here's opportunities to be able to offer these things. In five, he says, acacia wood. In seven, oil, spices, incense, precious stones. All these things are, are again, of great value, rare in this day and age. And, and they can be given to the Lord if the person is willing. And they're all going to be used in the tabernacle, in the priestly garments, in the ephod. We'll talk all about those things. But in this place of worship... But I think, one, this is so beautiful from the Lord because notice how everybody has an opportunity to accept this invitation. Everybody has something, right? Even if you're thinking, well, I mean, isn't it possible? Maybe somebody has nothing. Well, even to the person who has nothing, they could just go right nearby and cut down an acacia tree to get some wood that was very prominent in this area where they're at, right? Or they could have an animal and they're going to slaughter that animal. They could pull some hair off the goat, right? Everybody can give something. That's what the Lord opens up. It's a possibility. If you want to give, if your heart is compelled to give, God is making a way for you to be able to give But the point is, whatever you give, give God your best. Don't give God the dog's animal skin. You're like, well, I was going to throw that away anyway. I mean, look at how hammered that thing is. I bet God wants it. Why would we do that, right? I, I, I've worked, I've been a youth pastor. I've worked in youth ministry. And, and listen, we're always thankful for whatever the Lord wants to give. But it was always weird. I'd be like, why would you think we'd want that? Like, Savers doesn't even want that. You think, oh, I'm going to give it to the church. And I'm like, well, I mean, again, we're thankful. We're thankful. But I'm thinking, you know, it would really be cool if it was brand new. I mean, we were kind of thinking, don't just give God what you're going to throw away anyway, right? If it's worth throwing away, that's not giving God your best. That's what he's saying. You're give, if you're going to give whatever you can give, give God your best. And listen, it's not the best because it's more in comparison to somebody else, somebody else's. It's not the best because it's more valuable in comparison to somebody else's. It's the best because it's valuable to you and it shows that you value God more. 
That's worship, right? Worship is showing God's great worth. Worship is showing that we're growing in a deeper relationship with Jesus as Lord. That's what he's saying. That's what we're talking about. So whether our gifts are large or small, if, they, if they're given with the right heart, they're going to glorify God. They're going to please his heart. He's going to receive them because he loves when somebody gives things to him in the right way. Now, somebody may be listening here and saying, oh, I, I've heard one of these before. What do you mean? Why, why, does God, why does God want my best? Is that even a fair thing to say? Why would God want my best? Well, let me phrase it this way. Do we have an example of God giving us his best? I love this so much about the Lord our God. There is nothing he asks us to do, nothing, that he himself hasn't already done. I love to say that about a good manager, a, a good leader. Maybe you've had a good boss and you're like, man, I know that they're willing. They're not going to ask me something to do that they're not willing to do. Now, I've never seen them do it, but, but I trust that they'd be willing to do it. Our God doesn't ask us to do something that he hasn't already done. He's not just willing to do it. He did it. And when you think about this, this whole context in chapter 25, in these first nine verses, what is God setting up? The construction of a tabernacle. He's saying, I want you to give these things because I want you to make me a sanctuary, he says, a place that I can dwell. Right, but I want you to take this now into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says that our bodies are the tabernacle of God. Now, we are the temple of God. We, as every Christian, we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. So you could say, we are the temple of God. I ask you this, what did God pay to build this tabernacle? He sent his own son. He sent Jesus to come and die on a cross. He paid for us. He built this tabernacle with his precious blood. Think about that. God gave his best when he built this tabernacle. And so when he's saying for us to be a part of what he wants, he says, give your best, whatever you can give. Make it, make it something that's valuable to you, which will show your greater value for the Lord. But I have a verse for you. Paul says this in Romans 8, 32. He says, speaking, speaking of God, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the cross, the crucifixion, he says, he, God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God didn't spare Jesus, but gave his own son, his own beloved son, the son in whom he was well-pleased, is well-pleased. Jesus, remember, he didn't, he didn't lose his life. He laid it down in a demonstration of love, in an act of redemption. But very much think about it, connect the dots to build this tabernacle so he can abide with us, we can abide with him, his his presence. That's what's going on. So as we give back, as we respond in worship and give back a portion of what he's entrusted us, we're just doing what he's done for us. We're imitating Jesus. And I love that. I love that every thread of everything I do points to the Bible and makes me look more like Jesus. God is the greatest giver. You will have no problem trying to find scriptures about God giving out of the abundance of his heart. God giving even out of a poverty, a limited, finite capacity. God giving. Put several verses in your study guide to look at later. But whatever you give, make sure you give God your best. Number five, the last point I want to I see here as we close this, this out is, is number five. It's for God's work 
It's for God's glory. Verse 8 tells the people who it's all for, what it's all for. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God is telling his people, this is my plan. I want you to make me a sanctuary. This is going to be a place for my glory. This is going to be a place where I'm going to work in your very midst. But when he says this, make me a sanctuary, the word for sanctuary literally means a sacred place. Make me a sacred place. Make me a holy place. A place set apart for sacred use. A place set apart where God is going to be able to dwell. He's going to tap tabernacle with his people and a place where he will meet with them. But it's a place for for God's work. This is going to be the place where sacrifices and sin offerings are going to be made to keep in line the relationship that his people have, right? They needed in an old covenant capacity, they needed the blood of bulls and goats to be able to temporarily cover their sin. So they're not angering God and, and subjecting themselves to his wrath, right? So what does God do? He says, I want this relationship. And if we're going to keep this relationship together, I need you to respond to me in worship so we can have a place where you can make atonement for your sin to be able to stay in relationship with me. This is God setting all of these things up, but it's ultimately God's work for his people. They're investing in God's work right in their very midst, but then it's also for God's glory. When he says, I will dwell among you, this literally means make me a place so I can be in your midst. My presence can be before you. Now listen, please catch this. This this tabernacle is not going to be a place where, where God is bound, right? God is not bound to a geographic location. This is not going to contain God. Later when the temple replaces this tabernacle, Solomon, David's son, is going to say, will God dwell on earth? I mean, the heaven of, of heavens cannot contain you. Will, will this temple? No, it's a rhetorical question. No, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at, at, the, at all time. He, he's able to be he's so much bigger than that. So don't think this is like containing him, but this is just a place that if made according to the pattern that God is giving him, God would dwell. He would manifest his presence there. And I think that's incredible because you're going to see the tabernacle is going to be in the center of the camp, which means as you're walking around, as you're living the daily life, as you're wanting to keep mindful of the relationship that you have with the Lord and respond in worship, you're going to see it. There's the tabernacle. Well, that's the presence of God. That's where God is at. And it's going to keep you mindful of that situation. And that's what you get an opportunity, what the people get an opportunity to be a part of. That's what's, that's what's going to be communicated every single time God manifests his presence amongst his people. And the tent, the tabernacle itself is supposed to be, it will be a kind of a movable structure because it's going to be taken down and set back up. We'll talk about the different furnishings and how God's going to have them built so they can be moved from different places as his people move around. But that alone is going to, it's going to kind of show the imminence of God. We talked about a few weeks ago how God is approachable. He's dwelling in a place like I dwell in. I mean, that, that tent isn't that much different than mine. So that's the Lord God. But yet there's also some transcendence. It's a sacred place. It's a holy place. And we'll see the different aspects of the tabernacle that, that further confirm that. But, but all in all, God's saying, this is for your response in worship through giving. It's for my work among you. It's for a place for my presence to be with you. But I hope you see all this. As we zoom out, I hope you see that it's all about worship. 
This, this whole, I'm not having to force fit any of these things. This is, this is worship. Worship is a response. And one of the response that we can make, one of the responses we can make is giving to the Lord. Can we say, does giving show our worth? You better believe it does. Back in the day where there used to be things called checkbooks, you could just go through your checkbook registry and kind of see, well, who do I worship the most? I mean, is God anywhere in that equation? We can look at our online banking or we can look at our statement and say, is, is God anywhere? Who do I worship? What do I show the most worth? We can see that true. It's, it's a matter of worship. It's a heart check to say, what am I investing in? What am I mindful of? Where is my heart? So yes, it shows worth. Does it show lordship? Does it show who I want to be the Lord over my life? What do I allow? When, when crisis comes, or maybe crisis is a bad example, we can all be crisis Christians sometimes, but, but when everything's going so well, where's the Lord in those situations? Do, do we acknowledge Him in those situations? I'm, just, I'm encouraging you as Christians, as I would encourage myself, I want the Lord to be Lord of all, Lord of every season, Lord of the hills and the valley, the God of of everything in my life. I want to acknowledge Him. I want to seek first His kingdom, and I want to respond Him in this way in worship. So rehashing these one more time, knowing that it all belongs to the Lord knowing that what we give is voluntary. We give because he gave, and we give because we worship. And number three, we give from the heart because we're compelled to give because God is the greatest giver. Number four, we give our best because God gave his best when he sent his son to die for our sins when Jesus rose again from the grave. And number five, we give for his work and his glory. We want his work and his presence happening in our midst. We want to be a part of it, vested in it. So please remember these things. Write them down. Remember this is an act of worship. It shows worth. It declares lordship. And giving is one of the most practical ways we can do that. So please, I I just encourage you Christians, everyone listening, you pray about what that means for you. You pray about how you can respond. You pray about what God's putting upon your heart. And then don't delay what God is encouraging you to do today. Amen. Let's pray and we'll close out our time. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, I know this is, this is a challenging topic for many. And I know it's been skewed in, in so many different contexts and, and even in, in different things or, or maybe even legitimate areas of what is called the church. But Father, I pray that we would see it with pure eyes this morning, that we would just see you, Jesus. And we would see the invitation that you give to be less attached to this world and more vested in your kingdom. That's what worship should do. That's what worship does in our hearts. That's what worship does in our minds. And that's also what worship can do in our finances. God, you want all of us. You have all of our heart. And so we just pray for the strength to yield in some of these areas that, that maybe we're not. But Father, we just ask that you would do what only you can do. Send your Holy Spirit to, to bring encouragement, to bring correction if correction is needed, to bring leading. God, we just want to be more like you. So continue the work that you've begun in the Spirit. Let us not think that we're ever going to finish it in the flesh. We ask for the flesh to be crucified and to be filled again and anew, to walk after you with eyes fixed upon you, Jesus. We lift this up in your name. Amen.